You may be seated. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We'll be looking again at verses 7 through 21. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. We're continuing our series, The Gospel of the Servant Savior, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And today, it's simply entitled, Meet the Apostles. Uh, we're going to be looking at who were the apostles. And as I thought about that, I know for the younger guys, you guys will appreciate this. Of uh, We've been doing some fantasy basketball together. And so when you think about you know, fantasy sports, it's just a fun way to kind of keep up with your team, different players. And you know, as you're picking a team, you normally try to pick the best guys. So if you were picking a football team... You would think of Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, guys like that. Uh, you think about basketball, possibly Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Steph Curry. These would be guys that you would want uh, to be on your team. Uh, Mark and I came across a guy uh, this week. His name is Darnell Rodgers. You guys probably have no idea who Darnell Rodgers is, and he really wouldn't be a guy you probably would want on your basketball team. The reason is he's only five foot two. He's a short guy, so he's shorter than me, five foot two inches, but yet he is the shortest Division I basketball player that has ever played, and he's actually a really good player. But if you were playing a pickup game of basketball, probably nobody would pick this guy. Now, you may be wondering, why in the world is he talking about this? Well, when you think about the apostles, and you think about the men that Jesus chose to further the kingdom out of all the men that he could have chosen, I am sure the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, as Jesus called these apostles, many of them fishermen, to himself, they were probably wondering, why in the world, Jesus, did you pick these guys? Nobody knew who they were. When you go to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, you don't have to turn there, but it says... When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, two of the apostles, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So you see, it wasn't about their education. It wasn't about their personality. It wasn't about their giftedness. These were not men that probably would have been chosen by most. But you know what it was about? It was about the sovereign grace of God, and it was about them simply being with Jesus. I want you to think about that this morning. If you've been saved, you've been born again, you're in the faith, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not because of your personality, it's not because you are better than somebody else, it's simply the amazing grace of God. That's it. It's the work of Christ. And when we think about being a follower of Jesus this morning, it's simply about being with Jesus. 
So allow that truth to be ringing in your ears, to be stirring in your heart this morning when we think about salvation, when we think about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So the key truth this morning, when we think about the advancement of the kingdom of God, what matters is God's sovereign, amazing grace and that we have been with Jesus. So let's read our passage, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. That's a tough word. That is, the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Let's pray together. Father, I echo the prayer of my brother this morning. We are thankful for the cross. Jesus, we are thankful for your work, your perfect life, for your death, for our sin, your resurrection. And Christ, that you are coming again. And God, you are a mighty God, a God who saves by your amazing grace through the power of the gospel, the work of your spirit. And so, Father, I do pray this morning as we walk through your word, that your word would change hearts, bring dead men to life today, Father. And for those of us that have already been, been made alive in Christ, that you would sanctify us, grow us in the gospel today. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. So the first truth that we're going to see this morning comes from verse 13. And this is not a new truth. It's a truth that I shared last week as we looked at verses 7 through 12. As we saw Jesus, he would withdraw to be with the Father. And so the first truth is simply again this morning, spend time alone with the Father. Spend time alone with God. Look back at verse 13. We see Jesus again. It says he went up on the mountain. So last week we saw the crowds. They were 
pressing in to the point that Jesus thought he may be crushed. We're talking probably thousands of people ministering the love and the truth of Christ. He, he's teaching them. He's ministering to them. He's healing them. And yet, Christ understood in the midst of the busyness of life, he needed to withdraw. He needed to come alone to be with the Father. You see, this morning, there is no substitute for being alone with God. So whether you want to call it a quiet time, a devotion time, it doesn't really matter what you call it. The point is, every single day, we need to have time in the Word, time in prayer, time alone with God. Think about it this way. Jesus continues to model for us the necessity of this time alone with the Father. And it's almost like the argument from the greater to the lesser. I mean, Jesus, he is the Son of God. He is the Lord God Almighty. God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And if Jesus spent time alone with the Father, who are we to think that we don't need to spend time alone with God? One pastor put it this way. I thought this was really good as I was studying. He said, if we do not follow Christ's example to come apart from the crowds to be with the Father, we may indeed come apart. If you're not willing to spend time with the Father to come apart from all the busyness of life, you probably are going to find yourself coming apart. The worry, the stress, the anxiety, all the things of life that we all deal with in all different shapes, sizes, and forms, you can get overwhelmed. Panic attacks are real things. Worry is a real thing. These are things that we struggle with in our hearts. But I'm telling you this morning, God is the great counselor. I mean, who do you really think is the best counselor? The things and ways of the world, modern psychology? Or the God of the universe, the God who has revealed himself. I mean, where, would, where do you think we should go? The answer is we go to God's word. We go to our Christian brothers and sisters to pray and to seek the face of the Lord, to hear the truth of his word. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other needs. If you miss that this morning, it's a train wreck. Life is already hard enough. Life apart from Jesus is impossible. It's impossible. So the first truth is very simple. Spend time alone with God. The second truth is also very simple. As you're spending time alone with God, pray. Pray to the Father. Look. Back there at uh, Mark 3.13, it says he went up on the mountain. And it doesn't say in this passage, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6, the parallel passage. This is really awesome. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. So this is the same context, same instance. Jesus here picking the apostles, and look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain, and what did he go there to do? 
to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So again, we see Jesus, our Lord and Savior, modeling for us the importance of prayer. He spent all night in prayer before he chose the apostles. Again, I know it's simple, but if Jesus spent all night in prayer for this decision in his life, why would we not spend time in prayer with the decisions that we make every single day in life? One commentary said it this way, Prayer is not pulling God to my will. It's not about me trying to manipulate God in any way. But it's simply this, the aligning of my will to the will of God. You see, when we pray and we spend time in the Word, our will, our life, our heart is being aligned with the truth of Scripture, the will of God. Jesus said this in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Jesus being fully man, he wasn't just out there doing whatever he wanted to do. He, he wasn't, oh, let me just do this or let me just do that. He was accomplishing the will of the Father. He went on to say in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Think about your heart today. Think about your life. Every day is an opportunity to accomplish the work that Christ has for us, which is to go and to make disciples, to glorify the name of Christ. Now, we may do that in different avenues and different spheres of influence, but that's, that's who God's called us to be. That's who we are to be about. I mean, Pastor Doug has been challenging us to be like who? Somebody yell it out. Barnabas. Yes, so we looked at all these characteristics of Barnabas and how he went about following Jesus. I was just making sure y'all been paying attention to Pastor Doug, and y'all have been. So good job. The kids really spoke up over there. So air five to you over there. Good job. So this is who we are. This is what we are to be about. The word of God. Glorifying, pleasing God with our lives. So guys, it becomes pretty obvious if we're not spending time alone with the Father, if we're not spending time in the word, if we're not spending time in prayer, guess what? You're not going to know what the will of God is. The will of God is found in his word. And I love what missionary Carlos, I've said this many times, but it's worth repeating. Nothing is so urgent in life that we can't take time to pray. Nothing is so urgent in life that you can't take time to pray. So as we go about our days, pray, pray, pray some more, and pray some more. We need to go before the Father. Now, let's move to the third truth. We have, we've covered, what, half a verse, and we've already done two truths. That's pretty good. So this last truth is going to cover the rest of the passage. Truth number three, Jesus sovereignly calls the apostles to the work. Jesus sovereignly calls the apostles to the work. That word sovereignly is very important. That means that he reigns. He rules. 
It's his authority. It's his decision. It's his sovereign grace. And we're going to see that in this passage. Look back at verse 13. Back in Mark chapter 3. Take a little water break. It says, And he called to him those whom he desired. Guys, that's sovereign grace. It means he summoned these that he desired for a task. He called to himself the ones that he desired or that he wanted. Sometimes, guys, it gets said that God doesn't play favorites. Well, guess what? God chose the ones he wanted to be his apostles. You can't get around that in this passage. Now, again, it wasn't because of their personality. It wasn't because of their amazing giftedness. It wasn't because they were better than anybody else. But God, in his sovereign grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, chose the apostles that he desired to choose. That's what the text says. It's simply by his grace. It's unmerited favor. God bestowing his grace, his choosing upon these apostles. So you know what that means? I mean, some were chosen. And others of the disciples that were around, they were not chosen for this office or this task of being an apostle. And you know what else the passage says? Look at it. And they came to him. By his grace, this work of Christ, they come to him. Look at John 6.37. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. But John 6.37 says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Have you come to Jesus this morning? As the gospel call goes out, have you responded? Have you seen your need for Christ? Do you see your sin for what it is? That Christ died on the cross for the sin of his people? That Today is the day of salvation to repent, to turn from your sin, to look to Christ, to be forgiven, to be made new. And you know what? When you come to Jesus, he will by no means cast you out. So these men responded to the call of Christ upon their lives. Now look at verse 14. It goes on to say, And he appointed... The twelve, whom he also named apostles. So he ordained them. He chose them. Jesus is the one who made them apostles. They didn't say, hey, yeah, I'm going to be an apostle. I'm going to be a, an apostle. I'm going to be you know, everything that Jesus wants me to be. No, Jesus is the one that began this process in them of molding and shaping them into the men that he would have them to be for the task that he had for them. Apart from Jesus, guys, there would not have been any apostles. Okay, this is a sovereign work of God. This is the way God chose to further his kingdom. 
He named them apostles. And that word apostle, it means he established the office of apostle. Revelation 21, 14 says this, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Okay, these were the apostles of Jesus. He chose them. These were his men. Now, who is an apostle? What does it mean? The word apostle means a special messenger of Jesus Christ. And also, it means that it's a restricted group. Restricted by who? Restricted by Jesus. What were the qualifications? Well, number one, to be an apostle, guess what? You had to be chosen by Jesus. Number two, you had to be with Jesus. We'll see that here in a moment. Number three, in order to be an apostle, you had to have seen the resurrected Jesus, which all of these men would. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, talking about the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles, it was foundational to the new covenant, to the work of God. Guys, we don't lay another foundation. This is the foundation. Jesus called these men to be his apostles. Now, Judas Iscariot, he falls away, right? He's the betrayer. Who did God sovereignly have ordained to take his place? The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. So let me, let me say it very clearly. There are no modern day apostles. They're not. Okay, the scriptures don't teach that. This was an, an office of these men that Christ chose that were with him, saw the resurrected Christ, fulfilled the work, the ministry that Christ had for them. We got the airplanes going by. I'll wait just a second. These were the men chosen by Christ to be the foundation for the church. Now, we know that we are disciples of Christ. We're followers, we're learners, and we're called to go and make disciples. We know that we are all to be missionaries and that missionaries are to be set apart. And we commission missionaries and we send them out. And the word apostle in the verb form also means to be sent out. So in that way, you could look at it of missionaries are being sent out to different parts and places of the world like Luke and Jamie, like Greg and Kilby, and et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that they are modern-day apostles fulfilling the office of apostle, because they're not. Okay, These were the men to fulfill that office for the building of the church. Now, let's look at what these apostles were commissioned to do. Look at verse 14 so that they might be with him. So the first thing they were commissioned was to simply be with Jesus. He was going to spend more time with them than with anybody else. 
And even amongst those 12, there was an inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John spent more time with Jesus than even the other apostles. This was just God's sovereign plan of the way he chose to go about it. Christy, it made me think of conversations we had a long time ago that God has made us human beings and not human doings. We used to laugh about that a lot. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in we got to do this and we got to do that. But the first thing for these apostles, guess what? It was simply to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. That's the most important thing when we think about our lives. Why is that so important, guys? The reason is you're just like me. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. And we all need to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And you know what happens when you spend time with Jesus? He's going to show you all the ooky stuff in your life. All the sin. The mess. And it's hard. And you're going to be convicted. And you probably will get discouraged at times. But then he's also going to show you his love and his truth and his mercy and his grace. And he's going to conform you and he's going to mold and shape you into the man, woman, boy or girl that he would have you to be. That's called progressive sanctification. And you know how that happens? By simply spending time with Jesus. And what, what happens, the more you grow in Christ, the more sinful you see that you are, the, but the more joy that you have in Christ because you're constantly repenting. You're constantly taking those things to the Lord. You're constantly going to Christ for forgiveness. And you're experiencing His grace and His mercy at a deeper and deeper level. What was that song that we sung earlier? His mercy, right? That's relevant. It's important of God's mercy and grace in our lives. Now, let's look at the second thing there. It says not only that they would be with him, but he might send them out to preach. God called them to preach the gospel. The Greek word is caruso. It means to herald, to proclaim the good news. Guys, nothing replaces the simplicity, the importance of preaching the word of God. So as these apostles went forth, it was about them teaching and preaching the word from house to house, from pub, uh, publicly, just like we're doing today. And so as we think about the ministry today, we think about the gospel today, nothing is to replace the importance of the preaching of the word of God. And then from there, the third thing that he gave them the power to do, look at verse 15, to have authority to cast out demons. God gave them this authority. He gave the apostles, Jesus did, the same power, authority that he did, the same capacity to do the things that he was doing. And we see that throughout the Gospels, and we see that throughout the book of Acts. God using these apostles, signs and wonders and the healings and the casting out of demons. Now again, doesn't mean that God doesn't work today in powerful and mighty ways, but when we think about this office of apostle, this was a God-ordained office for this season, for this period of being the foundation for the early church. Now let's look at who these apostles were. Look at verses 16 through 19. 
we have the list of their names. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Simon Peter. Verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. So they were, they were known to, to be bold, uh, to really be passionate. Verse 18. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now let's talk about these apostles just a little bit of who they were. What were their backgrounds? When you think about Peter, and James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, they were from Galilee. And guess what? They were simple fishermen. They were just fishermen. They were just common folks going about life. Hey, these were not the religious leaders. Hey, these were not the Pharisees. These were just common men that were going about their days, working hard. They had their fishing industry, their fishing business. And Jesus calls them to this work, this office of being an apostle. Bartholomew was probably Nathaniel from John chapter 1 who was introduced to Jesus by Philip. Matthew or Levi, how about this guy? Good choice, Jesus. He was a tax collector for the Romans. Nobody liked him. Remember, we talked about him a few weeks back. Nobody would have chosen Matthew to be on their team. This guy's the enemy. He's the one taking money from us. He's the tax collector. Well, who chose him? Jesus did. Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. We don't know much about them as far as their backgrounds. Simon the Zealot. What does that mean? Well, he was a part of a political, religious, fanatical party that was trying to overthrow the Romans. Most people probably wouldn't have chosen him either. This guy's a hothead. He's a little crazy. We don't want him. Simon the Zealot? Really, Jesus? I mean, guys, it, the text doesn't say, but I'm sure there would have been conversations why did Jesus choose that guy? Why did he choose that guy? I mean, there would have people were like, really? These are the 12, Jesus? This is the best team that you could come up with? But it wasn't about them, guys. It was about Jesus. And it was about them spending time with Jesus and him changing them from the inside out into the men that he would have them to be to accomplish the work that he had for them. So for you today, it's not about you. It's about you simply being with Jesus and him molding and shaping you to be the person that he would have you to be, to glorify his great name, to further the gospel to the ends of the earth. So it's not about us as a church either, right? But it's simply about us following Christ, living out the gospel every single day, being generous to give, praying, loving, living it out to all the people groups all over the world. And how will we accomplish that? Simply being with Christ and being obedient to his word moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. And sometimes it gets long and we may not think that Jesus is doing anything, but Jesus is accomplishing the work that he has set out to be accomplished. Amen. That's what it's about. So we don't want to get caught up in their names. And I want you to think about this too. This hodgepodge group of apostles, this motley crew. I mean, I want you to think about this. Matthew was a tax collector who worked around the Sea of Galilee, the scriptures tell us. 
He probably had taken money from all those fishermen, Peter, James, and John that I told you about. And so now, these people that would have been at odds with one another, they're now on the same team. And I want you to think about Simon the Zealot. He comes into the, up there on the mountain, and he sees Matthew. Simon is trying to overthrow the Romans. Matthew is collecting taxes for the Romans. How's that going to work? You want to talk about a recipe for disaster? A recipe for conflict? Well, here you go. And so there's this movement out here today that, you know what, we just need to reach this people group, but we need to, they just stay kind of to themselves. And then this group of people, they just kind of stay to themselves. And then this group of people, they just kind of stay to themselves. Instead of saying, nope, the gospel's for all people, and we can come together from all tribes, tongues, and nations, and backgrounds, and we have a common bond. And who is that common bond, guys? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So even though my background may be different than Javier, we both love Jesus, and we're on the same team. And regardless of what conflict we may have, brother, we can work it out, right? Because we got Christ. We got the truth of God's word. Our identity is no longer in who I once was. My identity is now who I am in Christ. That's the power of the gospel. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to read through 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. This is who we are to be today as Christians. This was who the, these apostles were to be. Verse 14 in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're living for Jesus now, guys. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't regard people that way anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, what an amazing verse. Rachel, I know this is the verse I think God used to bring you to Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the grace of God that gives you a new heart, a new life. Verse 18. Don't miss the first five verses, uh, words of this verse. Verse 18. All this is from God. This is his plan. This is his way. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means God made us right with him. And then he's given us this ministry, this message of reconciliation. The only way that the world can be made right with Christ is through the gospel. Verse 19, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's, that's mind-blowing. He has entrusted to us. God, are you sure you got the right person? I mean, I know me. Right? And I'm sure you know you. He's entrusted to us, the apostles, going back to our text, the ministry, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, that's the marching orders. That's what these apostles were commissioned to do, and that's what we as disciples of Christ are commissioned to do today, to be ambassadors, to be representatives. It's about the ministry of reconciliation. We don't need critical race theory. We don't need any other worldly philosophy to tell us how to do that. All we need is the simple, pure, unadulterated, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. His word is sufficient. His word is authoritative. No man is going to come up with a better plan than God has already given us. You know what the problem is? We won't follow the plan. We won't obey the word of God. And it's not easy, and there will be conflicts, but every conflict is an opportunity for the gospel to shine forth, for me to become more like Jesus, for you to become more like Jesus, and for us to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And that's how God's kingdom is built. That's what Jesus taught the apostles, and it hasn't changed today. So no, I'm not an apostle, you're not an apostle, but the marching orders are the same in that we are called to go and make disciples. Now let's go back to Mark. Mark 3, verse 20. Let's wrap this up. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. I want you to think about this. He just chose these 12. One of them was a betrayer. We didn't really talk about Judas Iscariot, the betrayer that ultimately was replaced by uh, the Apostle Paul. So verse 20, right after this monumental decision, Jesus had spent the whole night in prayer. He'd already had busy days of ministry before then. So let's look at what happens in verse 20. He went home, which by the way was probably Peter's house there in Capernaum. The text doesn't say specifically, but Jesus didn't really have like a big house of his own. So if you think Jesus was living in a mansion, mansion somewhere, okay, that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, that's, that's what the health and wealth gospel would teach, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, So Jesus probably there at the home of Peter. And look at what happens, guys. What happens? The crowd gathers again. I mean, I'm sure for the apostles, Jesus, okay, maybe there's going to be a little break in the action here. Nope. The crowds gather again so that they could not even eat. Guys, they didn't even have time to sit out to eat a meal. I mean, I'm sure they were just wanting to spend some time as friends, as a family, enjoy some food together. We all enjoy that, right? We'll probably do that over lunch today. And the crowds just kept coming. Verse 21. And when his family heard it, now that word family there, it can be translated, uh, it's, it's kinsmen. So it could be family. Some versions say friends, neighbors. It's kind of hard to know exactly, but... We'll see later on in Mark chapter 3. It probably is his physical family. So Jesus, his brothers, when his family heard what was going on, they went out to seize him. So I want you to think about that. Jesus is doing what God's called him to do. And his own family, they're ready to, take, to restrain him, to take him into custody. It goes on, why? They were saying he is out of his mind. Jesus has gone crazy in their mind. Now, to their defense, I'm sure they loved and cared for Jesus. And they probably thought there's no way he can keep this up. He's going to be exhausted. 
He's going to fall over. He's going to pass out. This, this is insane, Jesus. You can't keep living this way. You're too much of a rebel. You're too passionate. There's too much going on here. Jesus, we're going to need to restrain you. We're going to have to kind of rein you in a little bit. To the point where they thought Jesus had lost his mind. He lost his senses. Think about that, guys. So the next time somebody thinks that you're a little crazy, well, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're living out the gospel, you're in good company. You're in company with Jesus. The gospel is hard. It's sacrificial. It will lead you to do things that the world will think, as we used to say, you've lost your marbles. I say that to my kids at OCA, and they're like, Mr. Phillips, what are you talking about? Marbles? We don't have any marbles. It's like, it's just an expression. It's just a saying. That, that's what happens when you begin to live out the gospel. People are going to think, you're a little bit crazy. Final application. Discipleship is not so much about what we do, but really is about being with Jesus and what he's making of us. The key for making disciples would be for us as Christians to be with those that we are investing the gospel in. We share life together. We spend time in prayer together. We spend time in the word together. We spend time fellowshipping together. And we have to remember the work, the change that happens, who's responsible? It's God. It's the sovereign grace of God. Now, how does he choose to do that? Who has he entrusted this ministry to? His followers, his people, men, women, boys and girls that repent of their sin and trust in Christ alone. That's pretty humbling. So we do have a part to play, but we understand that it's God at work in our lives. Don't forget the marching orders of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says that all authority has been given to him, heaven and earth. So therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And then what are we to do? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we are to teach them all that the Bible says from front to back. I leave you with this. Be sent and be spent for the gospel. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace and your work in our lives. As we looked at your calling and your work in these apostles of this beginning, of this foundation. Jesus, we understand you're the cornerstone, but yet you called these apostles to be the foundation. You chose them by your grace. They spent time with you and you equipped them, you trained them, you discipled them to preach the gospel, to fulfill the task of the work that you had given them. And we're able to see throughout the pages of scripture, scripture it wasn't easy. They fell short many times, but by your grace, they persevered. And as we think 21 centuries later now, 
God, the marching orders, they haven't changed. We're here out in the middle of a field preaching the gospel, fellowshipping together, spending time with you, Jesus, spending time with one another, praying, reading the word. This is what it's about, God. We're thankful, God. We, we love it. We enjoy it. This is what you've called us to, God. You've saved us. And Father, we pray that you would be kind and merciful and gracious and that you would choose to continue to use your people here to further the gospel to the ends of the earth. And not only here at Everglades, God, we pray for our sister churches here in Okeechobee and around the lake, ultimately around the world. God, bring revival, bring genuine repentance, bring us under the submission of your word that we would be about the task. We would be about the mission. God, help us to not get sidetracked. Help us to not get caught up and our own feelings and our own problems and or the next worldly philosophy or whatever that we would just stay focused on the gospel stay focused on the good news stay focused on the word and that god you will work and you'll be glorified and you will save so we love you lord we praise you we ask all this in the powerful name of christ amen well, let's all stand and we will continue to worship the lord through song